So Daniel chapters 9 and 12 looked down the corridors of time at the devil's Superman, who upon the wing of abominations, the word wing refers to an overpowering influence, he will come with both signs and wonders, as Paul will affirm, until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on this one who makes desolate. And that will be the great tribulation period. Jesus said, when this event happens, look out, because in Matthew 24, 21, then there will be great tribulation. So we go from tribulation to great tribulation. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, the coming Antichrist. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Today, Pastor Carl will be speaking on the promise that is broken. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. And so God has used, like fishermen and hunters, even complacent people who are so wealthy, why do we ever want to leave? He uses persecution, and he brings them back into the land. Now, I know that there are brothers in Christ like R.C. Sproul and John Piper. God bless them. I love them in the Lord. But those two men, along with Vadi Bauckham and scores of others, have taught that God has no future for Israel, that the churches replace Israel, that we are the new Israel. Nothing could be further from the truth. The reemergence of Israel back into the land was predicted by God. Again, Jesus said he cannot come back until physical, literal Israel says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Listen to these words from Isaiah 43. Before Jesus returns, the prophet said, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Not from Babylon, the ends of the earth. 800 years before Christ, Ezekiel predicted their regathering. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel said in the 36th chapter. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. He tells us this regathering happens at the end of time. We studied the battle of Gog and Magog in this series. And in Ezekiel 38, God said, after many days... You will be summoned. He's talking about God's summoning countries like Russia and Iran and Turkey, the three leading nations that will come against Israel at the end of time. And he'll put a hook in them. He'll hook them in the latter years, a phrase used by the prophets and by Moses to describe the time frame right at the end before Messiah comes. That's why the Jews believe that Messiah's coming is soon. Why? Because God said at the very end of time, he gathered them from across the planet and make them a nation. In the latter years, you will come into the land that is restored from the sword whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations. For the enemies of Israel to come and attack Israel in the latter years, they have to be a nation. They have to be gathered from many nations. The prophet Zechariah, he lives about 480 years before Christ. 
He predicted their scattering and their regathering. He said in the 10th chapter, when I scatter them among the people, they will remember me in far countries and they with their children will live and come back. Moses made this similar prediction all the way back in Deuteronomy 30. If you are outcast at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back into the land which your fathers possessed. And then in the next verse he said, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So as remarkable as the prophetic fulfillment of God's regathering the Jewish people into the land, they're still largely in unbelief. Now, most Jews have a respect for the Tanakh, the Old Testament, but only about a third are practicing. But even the third that are practicing, they're still uncircumcised in heart. And Moses said, you're going to have your heart circumcised. Paul uses the same kind of description in Romans 2. Ezekiel does the same thing. First, you're going to be gathered physically from across the earth. And then in the next chapter, in that valley of dry bones, God is going to renew you spiritually. He's going to make those skeletons rattle. And he's going to put new life in you, which tells us we're moving towards the beginning of the end. Now, again, God is setting the stage for the final plan. And most American evangelicals are fast asleep. Verse 27, and he, the prince who is to come, will make a firm covenant with many for one week. In other words, the Antichrist is going to come and say, I'm your man. I'll take care of you. Follow after me. I'll protect you. And the word make a firm is a Hebrew, a single Hebrew word that means a mighty, a strong, or a great covenant. And he's going to give them some guarantees. The Jewish people have fought for their survival. And when we were there for the 70th anniversary, they marched through the streets, hundreds of them singing, we are going to rebuild the temple. We are going to rebuild the temple. And they're going to. Because what we're going to read in this prophecy needs a rebuilt temple. Some of you have been with me in Israel. We don't go every trip, but on that particular year we went. This is the Temple Institute. You go in there. You see all of the um, furniture, all of the priestly garbs that have been reproduced for the priests, for the Kohens. Uh, they're learning how to carry out the sacrificial system outside of the city of Jerusalem, actually in the hills of Bethlehem. They set up a mock, so to speak, animal sacrifices, learning how to do it. Now, they don't understand that the once and for all sacrifice has been done for them. But all the furniture you will find right in this building, with the exception of a now $50 million menorah made out of solid gold, as God specified. And there's one piece of furniture you won't find in there, and it's the Ark of the Covenant. It's conspicuously missing. But in their presentation, they will tell you, because we know where the Ark of the Covenant is. And so in the late 1940s, there were two Jewish rabbis of great integrity. They said, we saw it. Here is where it is. Now, again, follow me here. God had already revealed in Daniel 8.25 that the Antichrist will come through ease. Let me read that passage to you. And through his shrewdness, talking about the Antichrist, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence and he will magnify himself in his heart and he will destroy many while they are at ease. 
He'll come with this peace plan. He will even oppose the prince of peace, that's the Messiah, the true Messiah, and he will be broken without human agency. So he comes with shrewdness. He comes with deceit. He magnifies himself in his heart. He, he is drunken with a feeling of power. He comes with braggadocious words. He'll challenge this one called Jesus of Nazareth. He is not your Messiah, I'm it. Because there'll be people preaching during this time, of course, 144,000 Jews and so forth. Listen to what the revelation says of this man. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months, just like Daniel says, 42 months or three and a half years was given to him. And so in the middle of this seven-year period, he says, I'm the man and he'll be destroyed at the end of three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is those who dwell on the earth. So come with a time of ease, peace. Folks will love him. He'll come with all kinds of miracles and wonders. Maybe the war of Gog and Magog will be enough because so many millions of Muslims will be wiped out off the planet by God himself. Maybe that's all it will take, but when this guy comes with great deception, he will have their temple rebuilt, and it just needs to be up and running by the middle point. Now, one last point. Don't glaze over on me. Some of you, <laughs> you can get this. Stay with me. So there's this evil king who is revealed. There's this evil promise that is ratified, and finally, there's this promise that is broken. This promise that is broken. Let's read all of verse 27, then we'll step through it. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now there's a forest of theology. Let's look at the first half of verse 27. He'll make a firm covenant with the many, that's the Jewish people, for one week. Remember, this is week of years. One seven or seven years. Now... There are some, again, they're called amillennialists. They don't know what to do with the future of Israel. And so they make no gap between the 69th and 70th week because there's no future for Israel. It can't be a gap. So they make all 70 weeks chronological with no break in between. There's five problems with that. One, the people of the prince who is to come is not the Messiah. He's a Roman. And when Jesus came, he didn't destroy the temple in 70 AD. The Romans did. I mean, that's just kind of stupid, I hate to say. Number two, if Christ made a covenant, he's not a liar. He's a covenant-keeping God. He wouldn't break the covenant. Number three, if it's contiguous with the first 69 weeks, then it would end with the stoning of Stephen. And that dog just won't hunt. Uh, in addition, there are many examples, both inside and outside of the book of Daniel, where God puts large gaps of time between prophecy, as Jesus himself did when he went into the synagogue there in Nazareth, and it ended up them wanting to throw him off a cliff. And number five, Jesus quotes this very verse. Jesus is the greatest expositor of Scripture. And he quotes Matthew twenty four fifteen in relation to his second coming. Now, again, what do the amillennials do? They say there is no tribulation, or it's not in the future. They say it's already happened. It all happened. It was done by 70 AD. Look, you've got to spiritualize the text so much 
When Titus came in, he didn't go into the temple and defile it. There was never an event that took place under Titus that came on the whole world so bad, so dramatic that no one could have survived. Not to mention the angel Gabriel who is giving this vision to Daniel is the same angel who appeared to Mary in Nazareth of what will happen during the millennial reign. He, Messiah, this baby that you're going to have will be great, will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's never happened. So again, here's a big picture, verse 25, 69 weeks, what happens? Verse 26, this interval of time, it's been at least 2,000 years. Verse 27, the 70th week. So it's during the 70th week that the prince was to come. He's given many names, the beast, the little horn. Most of us know him by the Antichrist. Further, we're told in the middle of the week, in verse 27, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. So again, that assumes the temple has been rebuilt. Could it be rebuilt before the rapture? Anything's possible. But it has to be completed before the midpoint of this seven years. Now, remember, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, according to this verse, starts with the covenant that he makes. So it doesn't start with the rapture of the church, so you will often hear me over the years say seven plus years. Now, it appears from Scripture it would be very short. I mean, we've seen just kind of a dress rehearsal with COVID. You know, it's like so dramatic, all the nations of the world want to come together because we've got, you know, we had this disease. It wasn't as bad as they thought, but... When there are millions and millions of evangelical Christians missing, people say, well, you teach a secret rapture. We don't teach anything secret. It will be no secret when millions of people are gone across the planet. When planes have crashed, when operations have ceased, millions of people missing. It will be a perfect platform and atmosphere for this false one to come. So in the middle of the week, this powerful dictator is going to come in. He's going to break the covenant, and he's going to let them, he's not going to allow them to, to uh, offer sacrifice. He'll put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. And notice, and on the wing of abominations, remember we're trying to remember what the abomination of desolation is, right? I know that was at the beginning of the sermon, but that's where we're going. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even a complete destruction. Abominations. Circle the little letter S. You can, if you want, you can put the number two above it. In Hebrew, there's a singular, there's a dual, and then there's another form of a noun for three or more. This is a dual. Sometimes I'll look at a new children's Bible. I want to see how accurate it is. Well, I go right to Genesis, and I see what they have at the garden where God put cherubim with a flaming sword of fire. And if they have one angel, I know right off they're not even accurate. If they have five angels, I know they're not accurate because it's a dual in Hebrew. Two angels were placed there at the entrance. This is a duel. There are two abominations that take place. Second Thessalonians 2 indicates that he will make himself out to be God. That is, he'll break the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before you. And he'll also break the second commandment and that he'll make an image of himself and ask people, according to Revelation 13, to worship it. Two gross abominations. And upon the wing of abominations, he shall come desolating. He shall come desolating. Another word, abomination, 
It's used like in places like 1 Kings 11. It's typically used in reference to idolatry. God hates idolatry. And idolatry can take many expressions even in our day. It can be translated abhorrent or detestable. And he is going to desolate, make the temple defiled, make it dry and meaningless by what he is going to do. Now, there's a dress rehearsal for this. There are three times in the prophet Daniel where the abomination of desolation is spoken of twice in reference to the coming Antichrist and once in reference to another man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He rules as king from 175 to 164 BC. He goes into the temple and he offers a pig in the Holy of Holies to mock the Jewish people. In Daniel 11, the first half speaks of that as the abomination of desolation. The second half of Daniel 11 goes all the way into the future of another coming king who will do the same thing, but it hasn't yet happened. Now, let me just say parenthetically, the liberals hate the prophet Daniel. They say he lived for centuries, I say centuries, since about 1800, yeah, a few centuries. The liberal scholars, largely out of Europe, said, well, Daniel didn't live 600 years before Christ. He lived about 200 years after Christ. He was a historian. He was writing after the fact. Well, we found something in 1949 called the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was the start, and for the next 20 years, they kept finding in caves and different places all these scrolls. In fact, recently as the 90s, they found a few more. And we found copies, they say we, archaeologists and so forth. Uh, I don't take any credit for finding the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found, they found scrolls, complete scrolls of the prophet Daniel, dated some 200, some 250 years before Christ, which smushed their argument that it was a second century A.D., Why is that significant? Because of the first half of Daniel 11. Even if Daniel lived 250 years before Christ, he's writing about an event that had never yet happened. And so between Malachi and Matthew, there's 400 years, right? And there's some intertestament books. In the first edition of the King James 1611, those were included. But in the preface, it said, we don't believe these are inspired, but we want to include them to help you to see some of the history that transpired in Jewish life. When the Catholics came out and made them part of their canon of Scripture and began to mock the Jewish, I mean the, the English believers who put out the King James, they immediately took them out in 1613. But in one of those books, it's called First Maccabees. And in First Maccabees, he describes precisely what Antiochus did. Not only does that book describe it, but other forms of secular history. So Daniel chapters 9 and 12 looked down the corridors of time at the devil's superman who upon the wing of abominations, the word wing refers to an overpowering influence, he will come with both signs and wonders as Paul will affirm until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on this one who makes desolate. And that will be the great tribulation period. Jesus said when this event happens, look out. Because in Matthew 24, 21, then there will be great tribulation. So we go from tribulation to great tribulation. How do we know that what we studied in verses 4 through 14 was 
the first half of the tribulation period in Matthew 24. Because the midpoint event is given to us by the prophet Daniel. So after Matthew 24, 15, you come into the second half of the tribulation. And Jesus said, then there will be great tribulation like the world has never seen in all of human history. And God will terminate this guy. He will ultimately throw him alive into the lake of fire. He is the one, Paul says, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. He makes himself sit in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So Jesus said, when you see this event called the abomination of desolation, look out. He exalts himself above every so-called God in the temple of God. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. That's what his fall was about, right? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. His dream will come true and that the world will worship the evil one through his antichrist. And when that happens, as Daniel 12, 1 says, And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Jesus, again, is reading right off the prophet Daniel. Now, don't glaze over on me. (laughs) Let me make three applications and I'm done, all right? Application number one. Why is this section of Scripture important? Number one, fulfilled prophecy informs us that the Bible is truly the Word of God. I don't know about you, but to me, this is a fantastic prophecy, a fantastic prophecy that God gave the prophet Daniel. It is so precise that, again, they want to call him a historian, but they're kicking up against Jesus because he said, we read it three times already this morning, listen to what Daniel the prophet said. So their argument is with Yeshua, it's not with me. And when you read this, it is so incredible. You know there's no prophecy in any other book on earth but the Bible. You ask those Mormons, show me one prophecy in your book of Mormon. They can't show you one. You ask a Muslim, show me one prophecy in your Quran. They can't show you one. Neither can the Hindus with their Vedas, Upanishads, none. Only God knows the future, and it's one of the internal proofs that we know the Bible is God's word. Secondly, fulfilled prophecy informs us that we're in the season of Jesus' return. We're in the season of his return. Again, nothing has to happen for the rapture to take place, but the second coming is a prophetically driven event, And think about this prophet who wrote thousands of years ago. For this to happen, what he has described, there has to be the regathering of the Jewish people. We've seen that. Secondly, they have to be reestablished as a nation. Isaiah 66, 8 prophesied that. And one day they became a nation. Third, they would have to reoccupy the city of Jerusalem. And indeed, the Six-Day War, June 7th, 1967, that happened. Why is that significant? Because when you read the prophet Zechariah, it tells us in chapter 4, chapter 10, chapter 12, not to mention what Jesus says in Luke 21, 24, that the nations of the world are going to come against Jerusalem. It's not surprising that when Israel was recaptured, the chief rabbi, Rabbi Shammah, proclaimed, we have taken the city of God. We are entering the messianic era for the Jewish people. 
He knew of its great significance. Yet you look at the United States of America, you look at the United Nations, you look at the European Union, you look at the Vatican, you look at many other countries of the world, and they are arguing that all or a part of Jerusalem should be turned over. We're in the season. No one knows the day or the hour, but we're in the season. Third, fulfilled prophecy informs us that we need to be ready for Jesus' return. We need to understand that we need to be ready because the events that God wrote and spoke about centuries ago are coming to a climax. And if you've been saved, you should be ready. You shouldn't be sitting on your hands. Talked to a guy yesterday. All he was doing was looking for excuses of why he can't find a good church. And my director of communications, Rick Forshner, wrote him a great letter. And I called him. It was just one excuse after another why there's not a good church in America. If you want to find an excuse to disobey God, you can find one. Sermons are too long. No one said hi to me. You can find an excuse. Oh, it's filled with hypocrites. You can find an excuse. Peter, when he writes about prophecy, he concludes, what sort of people are you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And I would say, if you're not saved, if the trumpet of God sounds today and the people of God are caught up in the air, the 70th week shortly thereafter will begin when the covenant is signed. You say, I'll get right then. We'll see next time. You won't get right. It will be impossible for you to get right. The only people who are saved during the 70th week are those who have never heard the gospel before in clarity and in power. Now, our Holy Father, people may think that these are dark days, but we know these are child's play compared to what is coming you are coming. Your word promises it. But I would ask you, wherever you may be, is he coming for you? Don't say, I hope so. I think so. You need to be able to say, I know so. You need to be able to say, I know I am saved. And you can do nothing to earn it. You need a righteousness that needs to be gifted to you by the grace of God. You need to call upon Jesus and to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Father, for those of us who've done that, may we never be ashamed. May we realize that in this day of lukewarmness, in this day of gross compromise, that we need to be alert. That we need to watch and wait and look and serve because the time will come, you said, when we'll be unable to work. So help us to care for the people we know Help us to serve the body of Christ. And when Jesus comes, he'll be able to say to each of us, well done, that good and faithful servant. We ask it in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. As we close, one of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Dr. Brogy answers that question biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy of Are the Unevangelized Really Lost 
with a donation of any amount to Search the Scriptures. Please give us a call at 877-787-7478 or visit searchthescriptures.org to receive your copy today. If you missed any of our previous messages and would like to order your own copy, give us a call and request program God's Prophetic Schedule 012. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.